James Bentz. He was one of the people inside King Scooper's grocery store last week when the shooting started. He was later interviewed in the parking lot, and something he said stuck with me the whole week. It seemed like all of us had imagined we'd be in a situation like this at some point in our lives. And while I know the actual odds of actually being in that kind of situation, that kind of scene, they're they're not very high at all, I, I confess I know exactly what Mr. Benz was saying. It does, it seems like we live in a time that for all the the pain and the shock and the horror of of, of these and like events, one after another, surprise is less and less a word that we use. It, It seemed like all of us had imagined we'd be here at some point. And that, in and of itself, is is a heartbreaking admission because it's admitting at some level a a, a sort of a resignation, a cynicism about change, a a weariness about hope for something different. And I think that sentiment weighs on a lot of people in our day, whether very actively or somehow in the back burner of our soul. And then that coupled with, with any number of the things that are going on in our lives today, our nation, our world, all of it, I think, weighs in a particularly heavy way. And I think it makes us all the more eager for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, it's not that this year we simply want Palm Sunday. We like Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday's fun and beautiful and uplifting. But actually, this year, we need Jesus to ride as king into and against all that is broken all that is gridlocked, all that is just overwhelming and and has us otherwise resigned. We we need the king to come riding in to to save us from ourselves and to save us from one another. We sense keenly this need for a fresh procession of, of peace and hope, I think, in our time. And absolutely that we are ready to join with the crowds and, and, and lay down our coats and our palms and, and, and shout praises of, of hallelujah because, because we don't just want, we need this king to process forth. And these are times. And yet that's not quite where my Mark invites us to stand this morning at least not centrally. The part of the story that that many of us are familiar with, where Jesus rides in and we the people praise him, Mark's gospel, he tells that part of the story via three rather short, understated verses. That's it. It kind of comes and goes. But that whole part of the story where we usually don't know what to do with it, that part where we get all the detailed ins and outs of untying the colt and bringing it for Jesus so that Jesus can ride upon it. That portion takes a full seven verses and even has kind of a repetitiveness to it. It lingers in that space. Now we should know Mark's gospel is is famous for how concisely it narrates the stories of Jesus. And in the few instances where Mark becomes verbose or repetitive, 
The reader's meant to pay attention. Those are the spots where Mark is underscoring something important. Something essential is being communicated. And when it comes to our 11 verses of Scripture today where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, primarily, Mark would have us situate ourselves before the verbose part. Before the part about untying the cult. Why? Why make much of that which is so small? Well, in part, the cold emphasizes this king comes, as Zechariah prophesied, victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As Keith pointed out in the children's message, typically in this time, a king would enter a city riding upon a horse and so visually make clear his his, his power, his prowess, his victorious ways. Jesus, in keeping with this scripture from Zechariah, he comes on a far humbler animal, and one in that time that, that if it was chosen by a king or a prince, would communicate not war or, or power, but, but peace. The colt is an animal that makes clear that this king does things differently. This is a king who will overcome by washing feet. This is a king who comes not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, as he says just before this passage in the Gospel of Mark. This is a king of a kingdom in which blessed are the peacemakers. And so having us spend an elongated time focused on untying this colt. It, it has us slow down and, and just remember afresh the kind of king we follow, the kind of kingdom we're about, the kind of kingdom we believe will not ultimately be overcome. But also, paying attention to untying the colt it's meant to show us our place in the story, if the story is to have hope for us in this day. We'll look again at those, those seven verses about untying the colt, and we'll, we note that the two disciples there are unnamed. They have no names because they, they could be any disciple. They could be you and me. We're meant to find ourselves with these disciples, as these disciples. And they, we, are told... Go into the village ahead of you where immediately you'll find a colt that has never been ridden. Untie that colt and bring it. It's as unremarkable and unheralded a task as it gets. Untie a colt. And yet again, the colt is a sign of something central to the kingdom of God. It is a sign of humbleness. It is in and of itself a proclamation of peace. And so un by untying it, the disciples are freeing something that declares the presence and nearness of the Prince of Peace. Untie that colt, because that colt declares the presence of peace, the gift of peace. And what if, what if that simple command were Jesus' word to us today? What if in this time where it is so easy, almost natural, to become resigned 
to the next terrible thing that's going to happen. In this time where it's so easy to become cynical about everybody's motives and anybody that brings forth the next plan forward. What if in this time where we can just often find ourselves despairing as to what to really do or what to really say when, when all in our lives or our workplace or, or our family or our nation or, or the world, all of it, quite frankly, just feels overwhelming, if, if not impossible. What if in the midst of that kind of reality, Jesus is ushering in a new hope through this most simple of commandments, untie the colt. Release the thing that will declare a fresh word of peace in these times. What might be that cult the Lord has prepared for you, for us? Maybe our cult is a gift, a God-given gift we have. And we know from past experience, every time that that gift is untied, every time that gift is, is released, there is a wholeness, there is a peace, there is a goodness known. Is that the cult Jesus is pointing us toward today? Or maybe the cult for us is a letter or a prayer or a phone call or a financial offering or a form of advocacy or some other form of courage that does its own small part, perhaps even behind the scenes, to bring about healing. Is that the cult Jesus has prepared for us this day to untie? Maybe the cult need not be a, a gift or, or, or a good thing. Maybe the cult is a hard thing. Maybe our cult is something in the past that keeps weighing upon us and it needs to be released. It is going to need forgiveness so that the gift of peace can break forth. Is that, is that the cult? Maybe what we need to untie, and maybe what really the word is untangle, given how wound this can be, maybe what we need to untangle is all the anxiety that so readily creeps upon and it takes captive our hearts because until we, we, we let go and release that and trust Jesus afresh with that, we are not a person, we are not a people whose presence declares peace. Bottom line, what is the thing that is tied up or bound or wound in a tangle right now. But if we risked untying it and bringing it to Jesus, it would in fact declare the nearness of the Prince of Peace in this world literally aching for that news. In fact, I, th I think that our hardened layers of cynicism in these days is, is paradoxically a sign of just how much we ache for this peace to come through. 
I think Mark's making it clear that if we actually understand Jesus' procession and, and what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he is about, then we will spend most of our days uh, not actually standing alongside the procession, but untying one colt after another somewhere in the background, trusting that the way of unheralded sacrifice will in fact forever change the world for good. What is the cult that the Lord has prepared that needs to be untied? Do you know the name Myers Leonard? A month ago, he was an NBA player for the Miami Heat. He was playing a video game. He was caught on live stream using some pretty rough and hateful language toward the Jewish people. It's the kind of language that immediately brings to the fore this this deep history and pain of of being discriminated against and scapegoated and exiled and and, and murdered en masse. Well, he was quickly called out by a host of individuals and outlets by the team owned by a Jewish family. They suspended him indefinitely. Shortly thereafter, they traded him. The team that he was traded to then cut him. Amid all this, actually very soon after it all came out, he apologized. And then the story takes a surprising twist. Julian Edelman, he is a fairly well-known wide receiver for the New England Patriots, if, if you follow football. He writes an open letter to Myers Leonard, and he posts it to social media. And Julian Edelman is Jewish. He writes, so we've never met. I hope we can one day soon. I'm sure you've been getting a lot of criticism for what you've said. Not trying to add to that, just trying to offer some perspective. I get the sense that you didn't use that word out of hate, more out of ignorance. Most likely you weren't trying to hurt anyone or even profile Jews in your comment. That's what makes it so destructive. When someone intends to be hateful, it's usually met with great resistance. Casual ignorance is harder to combat and has greater reach, especially when you command great influence. Hate is like a virus. Even accidentally, it can rapidly spread. Edelman makes clear that that Leonard is playing far too fast and loose with this virus of hate. And then these final three sentences in his open letter. I'm down in Miami fairly often, where Myers Leonard was on the team. Let's do a Shabbat dinner with some friends. I'll show you a good time. Show you a fun time. In this world where our words are so often weapons of warfare against one another, Edelman releases the colt. In this case, it is his table that is released and open unto one who has hurt him and his people and therefore has witnessed to peace. We gather this morning with countless reasons why we are more than ready for the risen king to come riding through in glory and power and and do something about all that we carry in this time, in this day. But the truth is, if we really get who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about and how it works, then most of our days are spent doing the unheralded, world-changing work of untying the next cult.
releasing anything and everything that declares that the Prince of Peace is near, the gift of peace is here. And should someone ask, why are you doing this? Why are you untying this, releasing this, forgiving this, risking opening up in this way, risking offering this? Why are you unwinding this? Why are you doing this? We may give any number of reasons, but I, but I love in our passage, Jesus actually has our answer given us in the passage. Why? The Lord needs it. The Lord needs his followers to untie the colts. And honestly, we might add, so does the world. So short on hope these days. The world needs his followers to untie the colts, for each one released declares the Prince of Peace is come near. What is your colt? Untie the colt. Amen.